Zakawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't need anybody, Steve Zakawani! Steve Zakawani was never fun to stick up against. If it wasn't for Zakawani, none of this is possible. It's Steve, it's Steve. <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani! What's up, everyone? I'm Steve Zakawani. Welcome again to another episode of Winging It with Zakawani, and it's happy times around here. That's what happens when you go on a three-game road trip and you don't lose, and especially when the last game of that road trip is to the Eastern Conference powerhouse Supporter Shield leading Atlanta United in front of 70,000 fans. You play with 10 men, face some adversity, and you leave there with a point. A draw that definitely felt like a win to me, at least. You know, I watched that game from home on my couch after celebrating Paul Pogba winning the World Cup. I had my feet up and I enjoyed it. The sound has made me very happy on Sunday. So we'll talk about that. We'll also preview the Cascadia clash against the Vancouver Whitecaps, a team that just has, always looks different every year. It's a really, really strange um, situation up there. There's no too much continuity they look different again this year but still dangerous still a team to be taken serious but I fully expect the Sounders to be able to build on this three game unbeaten streak and pick up the three points at home Atlanta what did I like about Atlanta the game I love that Seattle came toe-to-toe of Atlanta that first 20 minutes like you know Nico was getting on the ball as much as Almiron Victor Rodriguez he always wants the ball he was doing his thing um, Christian Rodan looked as good as I've seen him in recent weeks. It was kind of back to, wow, he's, this is a really good player. You know, we can kind of get used to um, players at times, and I think we shouldn't fall into that trap. And Christian kind of reminded us that I'm still here. I'm, I'm still on my way to becoming the man, and he was very good. And I love everything that Will Bruin is doing this season. He was very dangerous. I thought at one point... The shot he had that got deflected was going to find the back of the net. Nico had a couple of chances. Seattle were going to Atlanta. And I know, you know, from um, knowing inside sources in Atlanta that their coach doesn't care if they give up chances. You know, if you score four, they're going to score five. If you score two, they're going to score three. They're just going to score more than you are. So he's fine taking risks at the back and things like that. So I was glad that the Sounders called their bluff on it and didn't just sit back and let Atlanta come at you. If you did, you'll lose because Almiron's very good. Martinez is incredible. I mean, just the way he jumped for his goal. I mean, the guy's four foot five and um, he's out jumping everybody. I, I, I can't explain it. I don't know how he does it. He has like, you know, 20 goals or 18 goals or something like that this season. 19 goals in just about 20 games. Um, it's a special striker, but the sound has really limited that team. What is the reason for kind of this uptick in form. I wouldn't say it's great form or Seattle's playing teams off the park. Um, all three games were different. In Colorado, Colorado's not a very good team. Seattle went in there and did what you have to do. It's still tough to win in MLS, especially away from home. Seattle went to Colorado and did their job. The New England game is one of the most boring games I've ever seen in my life, but it's what you needed. It was 0-0, left there with four points. Hey, we'll take it. And then the Atlanta game was a lot more exciting, a lot of chances, a lot of drama. Even saw Chad Marshall, the most mellow, cool guy, getting into it. He was hyped up. Um, And Seattle held their own against a great team. And then with 10 men towards the end, had to weather the storm against a really good team. And like seven minutes added on. I got very nervous at that point. Um, But it all turned out well. Seattle was playing better simply, as I said, all 
year long in the early podcasts. Wait till this team is somewhat healthy. It's not rocket science. Quality is quality. Take a player of Victor Rodriguez quality out and you don't replace him with the same or more quality, you're going to be a little bit worse. Then you add Nico to that. And then at different times, Roman Torres, um, Gustav Svensson's been gone. Osvaldo Alonso's hardly really played this season. Jordan Morris is gone for the year. Like, this team on paper, everyone healthy, it's still a very good team. You take five or six potential starters out of your team at different times throughout the season. Pretty much every single game, there's got to be changes forced by injuries to very key players. You are not going to be as good as you could be. And the Sounders were struggling with that. Yes, I admit the team still could have played better. Yes, I admit the team still should have picked up a few more points. Absolutely. There's no denying that. There's no getting around that. But you can now see with Victor back, I think he's reminding us how good he was too. Nico is beginning to rediscover his best form. I like when he plays centrally because then he has more freedom to roam around. Because the guy, let's, let's be honest, if you tell Nico start on the left or start on the right, there's going to be a hole there within five minutes because he's going to go and find the ball wherever the ball is. It doesn't matter where the ball is. So when he at least starts centrally, it gives the team more balance to have a right winger, a left winger. You know Nico in the middle will go everywhere, but you, at least you've covered the wing and the wide areas. And he's starting to look like his best self. Will Bruin has heard all year long, we need a striker, we need a striker. And every week he's gone out there and done his job, got his goals and has made Brian Schmetz's decision a little bit tougher. I don't think you can just take Will Bruin out. Just my opinion. I've not talked to Schmetz. I've not talked to Will Bruin. Will Bruin's agent is not sponsoring this podcast. It's just my opinion. How do you take a guy out who's scoring goals when the team isn't playing well and he's winning you points? You can't just tell him, go sit on the bench. Like... Listen, Wilburn is going to have to play until he shows otherwise. And maybe you find a way to fit him and Rui Diaz on the pitch. Now, that's also a possibility. It's not necessarily Rui Diaz is coming to take Wilburn's spot because Wilburn is a walking goal machine in MLS. The guy has scored so many goals in MLS. He's a double-digit goal scorer. So things are looking okay for the Sounders. Vancouver comes to town. Kai Kamara, Alfonso Davis. Decent group, attacking group, um, but very beatable. Very, very beatable, especially at home, especially coming off a good result, especially when the last home game was that very gut-wrenching loss to the Portland Timbers that we're not going to talk about. So you want to kind of make up for that. You want to kind of bounce back. You want to keep your momentum going. You want to spread belief throughout the fans that we are going to make a serious push for the playoffs. And if we miss out, we're not going to just kind of whimper out and have five, six games in a season to go. And we know we're not in the playoffs. We're going to actually compete, fight, and you're going to have to force the playoffs away from us. We're going to give it our best shot. And that begins with three points. Nico's got to be central. That for me now I've seen. I like him on the right. And if he plays on the right, then Kelvin Leder must be behind him because he's very good at getting up and covering that whole side. But for this Sounders team to be successful, it has to go through Nico. It has to be his team now. I think that's clear. There's been a struggle a bit at times with since he's come. Is it his? Is it Clint Dempsey? At times, Nico's been gone. Clint's done his thing. Clint was out for a while. Nico done his thing. When they've been together, they've been good at times. I've never really clicked all the way, I don't think. But Nico now, as Clint approaches the end of his career, whether he has one year, two years, three years, I don't know. Um, still a very great player, of course. But Nico, with where he's at in his career, you've got to build a team around him. If the Sounders do that, 
unlock him even more. And I think he's beginning to find his best form. There should be too much for Vancouver, but we shall see. When we return, Gustav Svensson, Mr. World Cup, the guy who went the furthest of all the MLS players, a guy who, when he was signed, I don't think we expected him to play as much as he played, to be as key as he's been, and then to make the World Cup and play. He's been great and always a great guy to talk to. He'll be with us soon. And later on in the podcast, I will be joined by Seattle sports writer and columnist Jeff Baker. He'll be on to talk about his new book, A Hundred Things Every Sounders Fan Should Know and Do Before They Die. Stay tuned. More on Winging It with Zachary. On by Tallinn. It's ended up in the net as an own goal. Sweden lead by three. It's Alvarez who's knocked it past Ochoa. And now Mexico's heads really are down. It's all over here. From down and out to right back in it. A famous win for Sweden. One of their greatest ever. Gustav, welcome back. Thank you very much. From the World Cup. Um, first and foremost, just you physically, how are you feeling mentally after such a great experience of a lifetime? Physically, I feel very, very, very well. Um, I've uh, trained really hard, trained really well. Um, everything is very professional over there. You have the right kind of food, the right kind of sleep and everything. So physically, I feel perfect. Uh, mentally, um, um one part of me is very tired and, and uh, um, worn down a little bit, and the other part is is I want to come back to my real life, my normal life, and play soccer for for Sounders again. So uh, it's a little bit of a battle there right now, up up in my mind, but um, but I'm um, I'm making sure that the the Seattle Sounders side wins. You're going into the game against Korea. Uh, you guys win the open game. What does that do for belief in the group? And then you see the other result. What, what's the conversation? What does that do for you? First of all, we saw the game Mexico against Germany the day before. Um, and Mexico played a really good game against Germany. So um, um, that made us think differently because everyone thought that Germany is going to just easily win this group. So uh, that made it even more difficult. That group first was really hard and then Mexico wins the first game against Germany and that makes it even more difficult because then you know that okay maybe Germany now have to fight for second place. Um, so um, and also um, many players played before in, in Euro Cup um, and the first game wasn't that good in, in those tournaments. So we talked a lot about that first game and how important that is to to make sure that we we do what we we're good at, um, and we did we did a good game, we got the result that we we needed, uh, so that made us like have, breathe a little bit. We know that we knew that we didn't have to win against Germany, but if we got a point, that would be pretty much Germany going out. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing, the Germany game, when, when they scored the last minute. Um, the momentum and everything just, you know, everything felt, felt from great to bad in, in split second. Um, so going into the Mexico game, um, 
we, we knew that we needed to do a really, really good game. I want to ask about that Germany game because when I think of the World Cup, for me, I think of moments. There was the Cristiano hat-trick against Spain. It made me go, wow. There was the Belgium counter-attack against Japan as well. But it was also Tony Cruz' goal against Sweden. You're one minute away from going to the locker room, high fives, everybody hugging, and then he does that. What's the conversation like in the locker room after that game? It's just quiet. Um, the mood is, is very low. Um, we were one man up as well. Yeah. Um, so we thought that we were going to uh, have the result with us, the 1-1. That would be great for us and, and uh, devastating for, for Germany. So um, when they got that free kick and he decides to shoot instead, he does a great, great job putting the ball in the net. Um, but, I mean, after that game in the, in the locker room, it, the, no one talks, no one says anything. Uh, coach tries to to find some positive notes. But it's hard. Uh, even I didn't play anything that game, but even I was just low. Because um, you, in your head, everything, everything, the World Cup is over. We're going home, pretty much. That's, that's what we think about, because now we have to win against Mexico. What was the level of belief going into the game against England? I'm an England fan. I was very nervous facing that Swedish team. I didn't think that England took it as the people, the team, yes, the fans for, oh, we got the good draw, we got Sweden. But that team is very dangerous. Um, from the Swedish perspective, what was the level of belief going into that game that you could actually beat England in advance? Yeah, I mean, we, we've beaten better teams before. Yeah. Um, in the, in the qualifying, we, we beat France, we beat um, Italy. Um, so, I mean, we, we beat better teams, probably. Um, but that game, they were too strong for us. We didn't really come up to our standard. Um, and that's the problem with having a team that is, is based on the group, is based on uh, that we do a good good game as, as a team. We don't have one player that can dribble the entire team and shoot the ball in the net. We, we need the, the entire 11 players plus the bench to be doing a great job to win games. And when that doesn't work, like it did in England, we, we didn't, don't really have a, a key to, um, to uh, lock up England or to, to, um, to uh, destroy them. So... Um, Unfortunately, we didn't come up to our standard, and uh, England did a good game. So um, it's it's hard because everything like after that game is just pack your things and go home. I mean, we just experienced uh, the biggest things in our lives, and in 90 minutes, that that's just destroyed, and you're packing your bags and you're going home again. You went the furthest of all MLS players in your team. Um, from an individual perspective, when you look back on your career, um, what are your thoughts going to be about this World Cup, individually speaking? I mean, it opens up, uh, for me, different, different things. Um, first of all, I know that I can play at that level against that kind of players, the, the best players in the world. Uh, so the confidence, of course, goes up uh, a lot. Um, and also um, gives you a little bit of um, you want to maybe continue to play at that level. Uh, you want to, to see how, how you do if you, if you 
go in a league against these players, play every day against these kind of players. Because um, it's it's different. Yes, MLS is a good team, but it doesn't have that quality that, that some players have in World Cup. Um, but I'm very I'm very happy and I'm proud to be to be the um, the one player that that went furthest in the World Cup from MLS. I'm very proud of that, um, and I have to thank all the the Sounders fans for for supporting me and supporting S Sweden throughout this World Cup. Uh, when you came to Seattle, you had just come from China. Whatever. This last well, 18 months, whatever it is, you know, you played a lot of games for the team last year and I think this year you've become like a key player like when you were gone in the World Cup there were some games I think a lot of people said you know this is the kind of game we need Gustav you know he's good on the ball he's calm he's one of those players with the experience um, how would you describe this your last 18 months just in general moving to a new country new league and then playing in the World Cup for me it's not that different I mean I've travelled a lot I've played in new leagues before uh, I know what I can do and I know what I can contribute um no one knew me here before I came, so I understand that no one had any expectations for me to to do what I can do and do what I know that I can contribute. So um, um, for me, it's 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 a good feeling when when people are happy with what you do, uh, especially when no one really believed that you could do it before. Uh, I don't know what people thought that I would do when I came here. No one probably heard of me or, or anything. Uh, so I'm happy uh, that people opened up their eyes and, and their hearts for me. I'm, I'm very happy for that. And now your club team, the Sounders, um, tough start to the season. But the way MLS works, you're not necessarily trying to win the league. You're trying to make the playoffs. Uh, what has to happen in this second half of the year uh, for this team to have a chance to get sixth place in the Western Conference? And I mean, we will go to the, the Western Conference for sure. You believe so? Yeah, of course. Um, we just have to make sure that we uh, we step it up a notch. Um, soccer is about details, and we have to make sure that every little detail is as perfect as it could be. Uh, if it's a, a corner or if it, it's just some tactics, uh, we have to make sure that every detail is as good as we can uh, perform because we have good enough team, we have good enough players to to win against any team, we just have to make sure that the small details uh, is better than we've we've done uh, in the past, um, and then then I'm I'm confident that we will we will start winning games and we will um, we will we will go to the conference for sure, Western Conference. For me, and I've been you know, around soccer my whole life as well. You're one of the more well-spoken athletes, you think the game, you have a calming presence. Do you take that role in the locker room or no? When the team's going through a bad stretch, do you are you the kind of guy that speaks up and says... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I do. Um, I think mostly because I hate losing. It's, it's the worst feeling um, than I, that I can imagine. It, it's, for me, it's eating me up when I lose. Even if it's training, I hate losing. So I'm trying to do whatever I can on the pitch and off the pitch to help my teammates to help um, like I said the small details to become better uh, so if I can with my experience help my teammates become better or the team to become better I will do that in, in any way necessary um, last thing I want to ask you this off the pitch 
you've been in America for no, 18 months or so now. How do you like Seattle? How's your life off the pitch now? I love Seattle. Um, my family is now in, in Sweden uh, to visit family and friends a little bit, but we talk every day about how they miss coming back to Seattle, uh, how much they miss um, the city and the people in it. Um, and uh, like I said before, I've traveled a lot with my career, but this is the, the best place I've been in. So I'm, I'm very happy that, that I'm here. I'm very happy uh, um, that I'm here with my family um, and that we settle down here for now and, and hopefully for, for, for a long time because we love it here. Um, it's, it's a great place to be. One more question. Uh, um, and you, this might be tough to answer, but do you think what maybe made that Swedish team so special, and you kind of alluded to it, was the fact that there wasn't a star? You saw Argentina struggle because they have this one player who's so much better than everybody, and you're trying to make the game go through him. Um, in the past, Sweden's had Zlatan and people like that, but there was no Zlatan this time. Was it just the fact that no one here expects much of us? And that I think, I think the superstars, uh, if you can call them that, they need the attention. They're used to it. Uh, and the players who, who are not superstars uh, depend on them to do greatness. Um, so that gives away a little bit of the, the other players stepping up. So instead of having 11 players on the pitch doing more than they probably can do, you depend on one player and you probably give him the ball because you want him to, to do the, the, the extra thing. Um, and when that doesn't work, it's, it's hard to go back to like fighting for, uh, like a team, fighting for your life to make sure that you win. Uh, instead of having a superstar, uh, it's great sometimes because you can have a bad game and you have one player who can change everything. Uh, but we, we managed very, very well to, to do that without a superstar. And uh, it's hard to say what would happen if we had, for example, Satan in there. It's hard to say because uh, he's a great player. But like I said, um, some players, they hide a little bit more. They don't take the responsibility when you have a player like that in your team. Spain wasn't good. Germany didn't do well. Argentina went home early. Portugal went home early. Is the gap closing between the powerhouses in European soccer and then the Swedens, Croatias, or was it just this World Cup was just weird? It's hard to say because one World Cup is it's, um, but a lot of good teams, a lot of the teams that were supposed to be at the top, supposed to be in the finals, they went out early, um, and. Um, like I said, when you have a lot of superstars in your team, if you don't, if the team doesn't work with that, you, you can't fall back on anything. Um, so, for example, what we have, we just fall back on our tactics. We know exactly what we're doing. Um, we know exactly what makes us good. So it's easy for us to, to do that. Uh, and I think that's the difference. If you have a team full of superstars and and they don't do good individually, it, it's hard for them to fall back on something. Gustav, always a pleasure. Welcome back. Thank you very much.
What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Winging It with Zakawani. I am Steve Zakawani, and I am joined now by Seattle Times sports writer and columnist, a guy who don't need really an introduction. He's been doing the Sounders beat now, and we follow his stuff. It's Jeff Baker. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No, I'm glad to have you. Um, the book you've written is 100 Things Sounders Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And after us, what's the inspiration behind the book and that title? Honestly, the inspiration was I really needed to get to know the entire Sounders history in a big, big hurry because yeah. uh, I, I kind of got put onto this beat uh, a week before training camp last year, uh, very unexpectedly. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to do, but I got approached by a publisher in Chicago uh, in July, so a couple months after I started, and they pitched me the idea of doing this book. They've done it in other sports before, the same kind of format. This is the first time they've tried it in Major League Soccer, and they wanted to use the Sounders because of their right. their huge success and their 40-year history. And and, um, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. And the problem is they said, you need to turn it around in four and a half months. And I said, <laughs> oh, okay, great. But I thought it would be a great opportunity to really get a crash course into the history, the little tidbits, the things I didn't know, and, and it would actually force me yeah. to know about the team. And, and I, I think I found some stuff that a lot of longtime fans wouldn't know either, yeah. which was the challenge. And that's, that, that was the whole impetus behind me accepting it because, uh, you know, usually you don't start a book uh, when, you, when you're covering a team for two months. But right. uh, they approached me and I said, you know what, this will be a great education, so I'm going to do it. Are these 100, are they ranked in order of importance or just like 100 random things? Uh, they are random, but they wanted me to, to really focus on the top 30 okay. of them and, and really, you know, go, go the extra mile on those. So anything you find in the first 20 or 30 of them would be uh, the stuff that that's – it's all good, but, but, I mean, those are the things that I really, really wanted to get up there. This might be tough to answer. I'm going to yeah. ask it anyway. Of the 100 things, if you had to recommend one – What's the one you'd recommend? I keep getting asked this, and I can never, I can never <laughs> do one. The one thing I would do is uh, get pitch seats at a, at a Sounders game. Sit right on the field uh, at those tables, get yeah. wined and dined. I mean, I've always done that in every sport. When people ask me, do I want to buy season tickets, I say, yeah, I want them right in the front row yeah. for any game because I, I can watch TV at home. Right. I don't need to be sitting uh, 20 rows up to get the perfect view. I want to live the fantasy of sports, and for me, that, that would be one of them. I love that. Do. Yeah, I actually love that. I've done that a few times, too. I love that. Um, is there anything you learned about Sounders fans like during this process that maybe you didn't know before that maybe even people like me wouldn't know? Well, the one thing I really wanted to focus on in this book, I wanted to get a little bit inside the Emerald City Supporters Group because there's a real uh, gap, a gulf that exists between them and, let's say, the mainstream media. Yeah. Uh, and and I found that even some of the really really good soccer writers out there hadn't hadn't really delved too deeply into them. And I wanted to do a few chapters on that group because they are such a visible presence at every yeah. Sounders game. And and so I sat down with with their leadership over uh, some beers. It was actually some some rosé wine, but I'm not uh, supposed to tell that. That's my kind of wine. That, that's that, <laughs> that, that, that. Apparently, that's become their good luck wine. And yeah. uh, and I got to know them, and they weren't you know the fanatical crazy people that you would think. These are actually responsible people yeah. running the group that have have. Really jobs and and uh, are very intelligent people and yeah. uh, you know they're just very passionate soccer fans and and so I think I tried to portray some of that I'm not claiming now that I'm an ECS insider <laughs> or anything like that but I wanted to kind of you know just scratch the surface a little and get a little deeper than what I'd seen on the team before and and so I found that uh, yeah it's not just one size fits all in yeah. that group there's a whole bunch of people in there I love it you said yourself you were kind of thrown into the deep end you know just before training camp last season um, where would you, how would you say compared to then and now 
kind of your soccer knowledge as you've been covering the team for the second season now? I think it's getting better. I think I make fewer mistakes with uh, the terminology. Yeah. Uh, it, last year, it was a real learning experience. And every time I would tweet something, I would get 100 angry people. <laughs> tweeting me back saying that's not how you're supposed to do it. But a few of them were actually really constructive. They would send yeah. me emails and say, you, you've got to use this kind of lingo. You've got to describe it as that. I still, I still make, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm still learning as far as that goes. I'm still trying to get it right, find the right balance between the North American sports fan who, who knows a field as a field, not a, as a pitch, yeah. and not try to sound like I'm trying to become a Europhile. But I, but I do try to respect some of the language of the game and, and, and try to work that in there uh, where I can. I, I think writing the book helped. Because now my base level of knowledge, uh, when I want to refer to a moment in time in history and I'm writing on deadline at a game, I don't have time to go researching every little thing, but I'll recall stuff off the top of my head and I'll remember, okay, this happened on this and this date. So to make it a lot easier to go back and find, okay, yeah, they just set a team record or they just did a, they, they, they just set a league record or something like that. Compared to other sports you've covered in the past, when you cover soccer as a beat writer what, what are some of the, maybe the differences in terms of um just covering a soccer team have you, have you done baseball i did baseball for 16 years that's yeah. almost 200 games compared to a 34 game season what's kind of the differences in covering those two sports oh, i'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for saying this but i tell my wife this every week i love covering the games here because the game it's so much easier an experience than it yeah. is doing baseball because baseball you are you're there every single day You've got to go there about four hours before game time, get in the locker room, get interviews with the players, write pregame stories, write, uh, set up postgame stories. You, you never stop working. You never take a breath. And then the game's over, and then you go home, and you've you got to try to ease off the edge of writing on deadline. At 2 o'clock in the morning, you're, you're finally falling asleep, and then you've got to get up and do it all over again. Here, it's, it's more once a week. Um, you know, I could probably handle a few more games a week, yeah. uh, but, but right now it tends to be once, twice a week. You go there, you get to the stadium a couple hours before, but it's more social time because we can't really go down and talk to the players anyway, yeah. and they don't expect the pregame stuff. Uh, I find there's a lot more time to sit and actually analyze the game, which I'm trying to do because I have to actually yeah. learn a little more about it, and so I do pay more attention to that, whereas baseball, we were writing so quickly on deadline for everything. I got to actually be able to tell what's going on without actually watching the game. I could tell almost by the sound of the ball hitting the bat or the catcher's mitt what was actually happening if I, and I wouldn't have to look up soccer I, I do try to pay a lot more attention I don't go joking around and going on popcorn runs all the time <laughs> I am actually watching the game trying to see what's happening fascinating um, let us know where we can find the book get the book you know I'm sure there's audio versions Oh, there's, there's all kinds. You can get it just about anywhere you'll find any book. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can go to Triumph uh, Books website. It's put out by Triumph Books. Books that's a publisher out of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in most, most major bookstores. And, uh, yeah, they do have audio. They have Kindle. Uh, they have everything. I'll actually come to your house and read it for you if you want to buy a copy. <laughs> hey, I might take you off on that. We're, we're neighbors, apparently. So <laughs> We are. Magnolia strong. <laughs> That's Jeff Baker. A hundred things every Sounders fan should know and do before they die. Before they die. Um, pleasure of having you on, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. The big three things on my mind this fine, I don't know what day it is, Thursday afternoon. It's Thursday. No, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday afternoon. Listen, I had a great weekend. Number one. VAR. I'm going to be honest, when this concept was first kind of introduced, I didn't like it because I was kind of a fan of, you know, in sports, there's human error and you have to allow that, you know, if there was VAR, we would never have the Diego Maradona hand of God goal, which happened against my country, against England. But 
it's just such a moment and you know there's been so many over the years but the more i've seen it rolled out the more i understand what's behind it and just with sports these days so much at stake so much you know just money at stake for players and you know legacies and silverware that you have to get the big decisions right and i'm understanding more that var isn't a hundred percent kind of get the decision right it just gives the ref more time to make sure they get less decisions wrong in the world cup i thought it worked really well for the most part still the consistency of how it's applied i think has to be addressed but this sunday i was the biggest var fan because it benefited the seattle sounders was that a handball listen i've seen those given i've seen those not given without var that goes right by the ref. The sound is appeal, appeal. After the game, Brian Schmitz has to tell you know the press that I thought it was a penalty. But, you know, that wasn't the case because VAR came in. Referee had a couple looks at it, decided, yes, that's a penalty. Um, you know, Nico almost missed it, but made the penalty. And the Sounders got the goal they should have. So in that instance, I think VAR works well. When you can just give the ref two more minutes, 90 more seconds to say, okay, look, am I sure I missed this? It's just some of the wording, clear and obvious error. This, I, I don't know if we need that. We just got to say, hey, that might be a penalty. It might not. Let me have a second look, a third look. Okay, here's what I think now. And we go. And then we still might disagree. That's just being human. That's just being sports fans. That's just being biased. As much as we try to be objective, we're still very biased. But I am now fully on board VAR in sports, in football. I want it to stay. And I understand now that it's not supposed to eliminate every bad decision, just make them less, less common and give the referee more time. Rolling right into number two, which is the World Cup. It's over. The French won. I think a lot of people did predict before the tournament that France had a great chance, but I don't think you would have seen it coming in this way. I don't think France really dazzled or got the most out of their pieces. I mean, that team on paper is stacked, but Olivier Giroud, Arsenal legend, was that leading their line? I would not have guessed that a year ago or even five months out from the season, um, from the World Cup, that he would be the one leading their line. So the French won... Yes, but when you look at how it happened, I don't think they or any of the big teams really showed up. Germany, disappointment. Argentina, disappointment. Lots of issues going on over there. Who knows? Um, Ronaldo had the hat-trick game and kind of put Portugal on his back, but they're not necessarily a big team, and they still crashed out. Spain, disappointment. Um, England, listen, I was shouting and screaming and singing, it's coming home as much as anyone. Wasn't really challenged. Panama... Tunisia, then played Belgium. Both teams were already through. Played Colombia without James Rodriguez. So it was kind of like, you know, we're going down this path without really facing big powerhouses. So I'm going to ask a lot of people this question um, going forward. Is the gap closing between the really great teams in international soccer and the teams that we thought aren't the powerhouses? Is that what's happened? That the gap's just closing? It's something to think about, and it should give the U.S. a lot of hope because you're looking at what Croatia did and what Sweden did, and maybe those teams are better than the U.S. I don't know, but the U.S. always think about Brazil and Italy and France and some of the bigger teams over the years. Maybe we should look to a Croatia. Maybe in the U.S. we should be looking to um, a Sweden. And how are they getting the most out of their players and their talents? Croatia have Modric, I'll give you that. But hey, there's Christian Pulisic here. Number three, 
what does success look like for the Sounders this season? I think we have to be very realistic at this point. And I'm an optimist, but I'm a realist too. Seattle's not going to win the Supporter Shield. That's fine. I think going into the season, we would have said, hey, let's mount a serious Supporter Shield challenge. I think even on the very first podcast, I might have mentioned that the goal should be to get back to MLS Cup, but not just that. We want to host it. That's gone. So we have to readjust there. Get a high seed as possible. So first in the Western Conference or second or third, top three, uh, probably not going to happen. And it's the most crazy run that even tops what we saw in 2016 takes place. That's going to be pretty tough to do. I can accept that. I think success for the Sounders this season, the bare minimum is making the playoffs for a couple of reasons. One, this club has never missed out. I was, part, I was very fortunate to be part of the 2019 that launched this franchise in the right way, making the playoff as an expansion team. We came back the second year, did it again. And then it's just always been assumed we're always going to be there. It just shows you how hard it is. It's very tough. And the league's gotten better from when I played. The league's a much better league. So it's not easy. But I think the Sounders can do that. One, to maintain that consistency. One, to show that no matter how bad the start of the year was, this was always a good team. That's important. And the second reason is the more important reason is once you get in, anything can happen. I've seen last seeds go on crazy runs and win the whole thing. We've seen the team that's hot in the moment. I'm thinking Portland, 2015. They just got hot at the right time. I'm thinking Sounders, 2016. Just got hot at the right time. Maybe that's what it's going to take. It's not out of reach. Sixth place in the West is not out of reach. I think success looks like, at a bare minimum, making the playoffs. And then once you're in the big dance, just go dancing and see what happens. Steve Zakwani winging it with Zakwani. Seattle Sounders against Vancouver Whitecaps. We will be back next week. And I predict we'll be recapping a great three points. Maybe even a debut goal for Rui Diaz and one for Will Burin. I don't make predictions, but I'm going 2-1 or 2-0. We'll give the Sounders a shout-out, a clean sheet. Why not? 2-0 this weekend against the Whitecaps. We'll be back next week on Winging It with Zakwani. As always, thanks for listening. We will get to a lot of your questions next week. There were some great ones this week, but with a couple of guests uh, to whiz through. Stay tuned. I'll be back next week.